0: Well, I am excited this morning. I was just going to say, before we change the lights, can we leave the lights just so that there's enough room at the tables in case people want to take notes, have their Bibles open, that kind of thing. I'm uh, very excited this week. Um, we are, uh, here we are. We are about to embark on a, a journey through one of the most confusing, misused, scary, mysterious, but I would also argue beautiful and worship-enhancing books in all of Scripture. I, uh, I, I named it uh, Great Awakening, Living in the Light of Revelation, because much like the early church, the point of the book of Revelation is actually to illuminate to a larger story and to actually get us excited. And even even down to the colors that were being used, I wanted something that, that brought a calmness and the, looking like the dawn of a new day. And so that is my hope. Today, This is going to be a, a longer series, possibly one of the longest series I've ever preached. Um, but it will not be boring. I promise you, it will not be boring. Uh, we are living in very interesting times now. There are uh, race riots and, and looting going on. There are uh, murders. There are, um, I mean, I, a month and a half ago we had uh, forest fire smoke so strong it it blacked out the sun. I mean, does that not sound biblical? That sounds like a biblical threat. That's, that's intense. And of course, we have COVID kind of as the big wet blanket over everything we're going through. Uh, more times than, than before, as a pastor, I've, I've come across the question, whether it be face-to-face, via email, even phone calls to our church saying, do, we, do I think that this is the end times? Do I think this is part of some of the things that Revelation is talking about? That's what some people are asking. So, let me start by asking this this morning what do you think of when you think of revelation or what were you brought up to think of when you think of revelation just go ahead and call it out all the christians disappearing yeah the great judgment yeah the mark of the beast 666 yeah yeah sorry plagues yeah absolutely yeah sorry Suffering. Reconciliation of, Reconciliation of Israel. You're the second one to mention that this morning. Yeah? Yeah. Reconciliation, Reconciliation of Israel. Great. Four horsemen. Judgment. Second coming. It's interesting to, uh, to point out uh, this morning before we even go any further that things like rapture or the word rapture, word antichrist, neither of those are actually mentioned in Revelation. Interesting. We'll unpack that. Uh, One of the things I'm hoping to do as we go through this series and come to the end of this series is give, maybe for some of us, uh, a new kind of list. A list when we say, what do you think of Revelation? We say, God. We say, the Lamb. say, the throne. Behold. Look. Words like that. Overcome. Fear not. Some of these themes that are the center of the book of Revelation. Now, I, I grew up not wanting to talk about Revelation at all. And there's no, no kids in here right now. So uh, I, I recall when I was 10 years old, I was at Green Bay Bible Camp, and uh, a, a well-meaning 17, 18-year-old counselor decided he was going to tell us 10-year-old kids about Revelation and the fear that it ought to instill. So as it was about 10 o'clock at night, he told us to step outside of the cabin and look at the Okanagan Lake. He said, now imagine that lake being full of blood and a great dragon coming out to consume you. Are you ready? Uh, I confessed this to the last group here this morning, and I'll confess it to you. I wet the bed all night, and I screamed at the top of my lungs. Everyone in the camp heard me. The camp director had to come and clean out the cabin. Thanks, honey. (laughs) Oh, my poor husband. That was my first experience. Oh, I see. Well, we will make sure it does not. My second experience with Revelation was a year or two after that when a movie was being shown at my church. I wasn't actually allowed to watch it, but my older siblings were, and I peeked in the window as the movie started, and all I saw was a lineup of Christians waiting to be guillotined because they were refusing to take the mark of the beast. That movie series was called A Thief in the Night. I asked my siblings a couple weeks ago if they remembered that, and there was some swearing. They said, oh, we remember that. It Scared the... Thief in the Night... If you've grown up in the church, if you've seen some of the uh, artist's renderings and some of the Bibles, the back of the Bibles, over the last hundred years, we have seen um, all sorts of creatures created, uh, mostly to entertain in some ways or just to take a lot of things literally and kind of create something which the Apostle John said it was like, it was like, it was like, or used metaphor, people have tried to actually create in movies. One of the other things in Thief of the Night was uh, scorpions showing up at people's doors. It was like, ding dong, hello. It was really quite a little bit, little different than Halloween. I mean, I don't know what your experience was like, but But if you've grown up in the church, you've seen artists rendering, or you've read some of the literature created in an attempt to explain and entertain the themes of Revelation, then you've seen some of these creatures and these images that are frightening. Uh, G.K. Chesterton comically says this. He says, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. (laughs) And it's true. (laughs) It's true. And sadly, much of what you and I have come to believe, possibly growing up, in the church, or just hearing from the outside, what we believe Revelation to teach is actually a result of mass marketing and popularization of books and movies that have told a good tale, and also have placed us, rather than the first century church, in the middle of the story. We've taken the words, words of Hal Lindsay in the, the late great Planet Earth, Tim LaHaye, Left Behind series, that's more the whole Bible And that's based on a few ideas that were taken to to what he believed Revelation was teaching. But this is the bottom line, and this is what I want us to take out of this more and more and more. Like every other New Testament book, Revelation is about the living one, Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who is firmly seated on the throne. And notice, never once has to stand up in all of Revelation because the work is done. Revelation 1.8 says, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I'm going to invite you to stand, grab Revelations, chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first three verses to you. The most important words you're going to hear this morning, because these were given to John by Jesus. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. Jesus, I pray you would open our hearts and minds to what you would want to say to us through this text today. And God, there's probably as many opinions on Revelation as there are people in the room and ways of taking it. And so we pray that your Spirit would do a work in us this morning and through these months as we unpack this book together. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you can take a seat. There is, uh, I, I think a lot of groundwork that needs to be done before we are jumping in and and taking apart aspects of Revelation. So a lot of what I want to do this morning is really just kind of unpacking a little bit of that. And the first thing I want to say, talk about is how do we read Revelations? How do we read Revelations? Well, the first thing is we approach it with caution. We approach this book with caution. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, it says in verse 1. It's a testimony of Jesus Christ, it says in verse 2. So we don't infuse our desires, we don't infuse our presuppositions into this text. It was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. This was written by the early church, and it would have made sense to them. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been much of a letter to receive. So you need to know that I am going to be prayerfully and humbly walking into this series. I am not throwing out my ideas. Oh, this would be a neat idea. I am doing a lot of reading, a lot of praying, and seeking a lot of godly counsel as we walk through this. So please know that's where I'm coming from as we do this. The second thing is we need to approach to engage and respond. We are not coming here just academically. We are not coming to the book of Revelation just so we can answer arguments or have the right way of interpreting Revelation. We are coming because Jesus came to John, an angel came to John, to reveal this to him, and it is meant to enhance our relationship and to grow our faith and give us perseverance. So we are meant to engage with this, not simply have it as head knowledge. Next, we need to approach in unity. The book of Revelation can be a very divisive book. And we are coming as the unified body of Christ to explore it together. So we need to remember we are doing this in community. And we will be challenged to clarify what is held closed, in a closed fist and what is in an open hand. So I will tell you right now I believe, we believe as Christians, Jesus came, he lived, he died. He rose from the grave, and now he reigns on high as the living Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and reigns forever. That is what we hold to be true. So some of you in this room, some who hear me teach on this, may want to challenge me on things. And you might say, this is wrong, da da da, da. And I'll say, you can interpret it that way, and I might bother you even more because I won't feel like arguing about it. Because if you don't push up strongly against the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and now reigns on high, Okay. But if you start pushing back against the resurrection of Jesus, then we're going to have a a pretty good conversation. Because that is the basis of our faith. So keep that in mind. (laughs) And then, and with that in mind, the next thing I would say as we approach revelation is that we need to approach willing to embrace mystery. There are symbols that we don't know what they meant. Let's just admit that. There are things going on culturally in the first century to these seven initial churches that this book was read to. Certain things going on, some of them we know. And some scholars and theologians and historians are saying, we're actually not sure what they're referring to there. So we should not be loud where Scripture is quiet, just like we should not be quiet where Scripture is loud. We need to be very careful. And we have to be willing in some points to say, "Eh, we're not sure about that part and feel okay doing that. There are symbols that made sense to first century Christians that we will not know. So let's hold very strongly to the truth of the gospel and let's be willing in love and unity to discuss some of the other things. So next, what type of book is Revelation? First first of all, it's a letter. This is an epistle. This is a letter being written to churches. Real flesh and blood people gathering together under the arm of the Roman world. And like other Epistles in the New Testament. Epistles just means letters. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 and 2 Peter. This too, Revelations, was being read, being written to be given to churches to encourage them in the middle of suffering. So, first and foremost, it is pastoral. Eugene Peterson says this about John. He says, He's a theologian, a poet, and a pastor who is God intoxicated, God possessed, and God articulate. I love that. May we all be those things. God-intoxicated, God-possessed, god God articulate. It's written to seven churches and to all of those who call themselves the church. So to you and and me as well. Written to real churches with real problems, real forces pushing against them, challenging their faith, challenging their resilience. And so this letter is meant to be an encouragement from a pastor. Don't give up. Don't give in. It is also prophetic. It says, uh, five times, five occasions in the book of Revelation. In chapter 1 and verse 3, it says it's prophetic. In chapter 22, it mentions it four more times. But we need to realize that prophecy does not just mean that it's trying to tell future events. Prophecy means God is going to speak to you through this person. And it might, have any of you ever had an experience where someone spoke to you and they, didn't, they weren't so bold as to say, God's given me a word. But they've walked away and they've spoken into your life in a way that, Now, how did they have that information? How were they able to speak to me like that? That is a prophetic thing. And so when we hear the word prophecy, many of us have come from a background that we we always tend to think, many of us might think that prophecy means, oh, this is telling about things that are going to happen in the future. That's not what prophetic means. It means God is speaking into your moment. Can it have implications for the future? Absolutely. But that is not necessarily the default of what prophetic means. Next, it's apocalyptic. We have so tainted the word apocalyptic. usually comes after zombie apocalypse or something like that. And most people think that the word apocalypse is actually a negative word. Apocalypse is not a negative word. Apocalypse has a very basic definition. In Greek, Apocalypsis it means unveiling or revealing. It means to pull the curtain back and see what's behind it. It means to take the wrapping off, to pull the lid off the roof and see the bigger picture. So there's nothing spooky about the word apocalypse, regardless of, in spite of all the things that we've thrown on it. But the basic point of apocalypse, apocalyptic writing, is that things are bigger than they seem. And the church needs to hear it. It needs to hear it today and it needed to hear it back then. Things are bigger than they seem. Now, apocalyptic writing has its own style. And it's unlike poetry, it's unlike history, it's unlike the the, the Gospels, it has its own style. So it, it, it can't be read just in chronological order. That's not how apocalyptic literature works. It happens in visions. It can't be read just like straightforward letters, because that's not how apocalyptic literature works. So we must read the genre as it was meant to be read. It's full of imagery. It's full of symbols. And so it needs to be read and interpreted, interpreted in a way that keeps that at the forefront. So what is Revelation not? Let's get this out of the way. What can we clear? It's not a decoding ring. Revelations is not a decoding ring. You know, the amount of Antichrist that existed in the 80s blows my mind. Every, every week there was a new antichrist we needed to keep our eyes open for in my church there have been contenders all throughout history, especially since we've been interpreting Revelation in this popular style, which is really for the last 200 years. But most recently, in the evangelical world, Obama was a, was a front-runner for Antichrist. Multiple popes. Hitler, every leader of the Soviet Union ever. Napoleon, every president since Washington Lincoln. Barney the dinosaur. That's just my vote. That's all. Revelation is not a decoding ring. Revelations is not literal. That doesn't mean it's not true. It means it's not literal. It, it, it has to be read as it was meant to be read. Beasts are not beasts. The woman is not a woman. Babylon is not Babylon. Numbers are describing quality more than they are our quantity. That's going to be a hard one for us to walk through. I'm going to be unpacking a lot of the idea of symbolism and numbers Next week. And thirdly, when we talk about what Revelation is not, it's not new. What is being said in Revelation is not new information. It's full, full of Old Testament symbolism. Old Testament descriptions with plagues and the cherubim and the seraphim of these creatures. Life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, the defeat of Satan. They're not new ideas in Revelation. Again, Eugene Peterson says this as well. It's a longer quote, but it's a great quote. I do not read the Revelation to get additional information about the life of faith in Christ. I've read it all before in Law and Prophet, in Gospel and Epistle. Everything that should be in, everything in the Revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible. The Revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of of the gospel is already completely revealed in Jesus Christ. There's nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. I read the revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. Love that. So revelation is not new. What we're being told in it is not new. So what is revelation? What is revelation? First, it's a call to worship. It's a call to worship. The the central and and centering vision of Revelation is a vision of God, the Lamb, and, and, and specifically the worship of God and the Lamb. And some of the best historical Christian music comes from this vision of everyone around the throne, all of creation, all creatures of our God and King. Crown Him with many crowns. The three songs we sang already are all pointed at. And I'm sorry to tell you, Joy to the World is not a Christmas song. It's a revelation song about the coming of Christ again. Beautiful songs of worship when we understand what the centering point of revelation is. This revealing that the lamb is on the throne and is worthy of our worship. In Revelation 4, this beautiful vision and you you almost get this feeling that, that John can't hold it all and it's, and it, and it's like this and, and they were like this and He's trying to get this, these ideas down and write down these visions. The amount of simile and metaphor, and if you don't remember those, go back to your English books. <laughs> simile, like, as, metaphor, without using the like as. The amount of that that goes on in Revelation is important. I'm going to read uh, verses um, 6, 6 through to 11 in Revelation chapter 4. The minute minute my eye catches six. There it is. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. That means something. We'll talk about that later. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. Have we ever heard of these creatures before? Does anyone have an idea of where we might have heard of these creatures before? Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah. They, they make an appearance earlier. This isn't brand new. Each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these li- not real eyes. We'll talk about that. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, and night after night, they keep on saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord." That's the Hebraic way of saying you can't get more holy. Here we have Charles Best. It's like good, better, best. Holy, holy, holy means you can't get more holy than the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor, notice it's present tense, it's happening. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased This is mocking the modern-day Caesar. It's mocking the emperor of the day who demanded this kind of worship, who demanded to be called Lord and demanded to be given glory and honor. And John comes and says, the Lamb deserves glory and honor. Our God deserves glory and honor. He creates at a whim, creates at a word. It is a call to worship. It's it's a reminder to everyone to take notice, a reminder to all who call themselves people of the Lamb, where He is and who He is and who we ought to be in light of that. It's a call to worship. Secondly, what revelation is, is it's a political statement. Revelation is a political statement. Nearly every interpreter of Revelation, every scholar, theologian recognizes that the entire book is a critique and a parody of the Roman Empire and, and the cult of emperor worship that was rampant at the time. The very reason John was exiled is because he refused to be a part of it. And many in the church were having to make a decision are you going to go the way of Rome that offers you wealth? and prestige, and everything the world has to offer, or will you go the other way? Because the other way will bring suffering, because the other way is the way of the Lamb. So which will you choose? That's a big question of Revelation. And it is also a warning to those throughout history who call themselves Christians, and who are being invited over and over to switch your allegiance to the world. Scholar Mitchell Reddish Says this. He says, worship is so important in the book of Revelation because John rightly understood that worship is a political act. Through worship, one declares one's allegiance, one's loyalty. Public worship is a statement to the world that the church will bow to no other gods. This is being said in the backdrop of, of the imperial cult of Rome. And Rome was saying, trying to convince all these nations that they were a tool of God to bring health and peace to the world so bow to us Rome was worshiped its leaders were worshiped and this revelation was making it very clear the lamb alone deserves your worship and deserves your allegiance and throughout history throughout history to extremely damaging ends we have seen nations demand such devotion and it's nothing short of idol worship Speaking of our modern day political and global environment, one scholar says this, he says, no Western nation has outright ruler worship today. We do have political, military, and economic powers to which millions give unquestioned allegiance. And everyone's minds are running right now. What is he saying? And the amount of times I'm going to walk right up to a line and then just go, figure it out. It's going to be a lot of that. (laughs) Revelation is a political statement. But finally, and this is what I'll leave you with today. Revelation is good news. It's it's good news. It has been used to be smashed over people's heads and scare little 10-year-olds into peeing their mats all night. But it's good news and it's meant to give us life and infuse us with a larger picture. To an audience, a church living in the shadow of the Roman Empire, the threat of persecution and death, and to Christians wondering if 2020 could be it. John's statement is clear. Fear not. Fear not, for the Lamb is on the throne. And nothing happens in Revelation. Nothing happens in Revelation without the Lamb being in control of it. And you will see that as we go through. It ought to be an encouragement. It ought to give us strength. It ought to give us perseverance. Things are not as they seem Your worst story is not the last story. There is an entire story playing out that you are involved in if you belong to the Lamb. But over and over, we will learn in Revelation that the way of the Lamb is suffering. We should never be surprised by that. Jesus always said that, that to follow him will mean suffering. And within that good news is the idea, and we, we, we feel this over and over, we sense this over and over as John explains these visions, is that heaven is a lot closer than we think. That Christ is much closer than we think. Even as we explore the churches over this next month and talk about the idea of Jesus being in the middle of the lampstands, he is present. At this moment, we, his church, he is with us. He is much closer than we think. We get that sense over and over in Revelation, and it's meant to be a comfort. In the early 90s, when I was still sporting an amazing haircut, Margaret, shh. <laughs> when I would carry on my own fan so that my mullet would go back. Um, the, the band I was touring with, we went down to Venezuela, and we had spent, which was in bad shape then. Far worse shape now. But it was a dangerous time at that point. But when we were, we were finished, we'd been there for a couple of weeks. And the last day we were there, they asked if we wanted to go snorkeling, which I'd never done before. So they drove us a couple hours north, and we visited uh, the, the Caribbean coast. And as I walked into the water, I saw nothing. I just saw the ocean. So I looked up on the hills. I saw burnt, burnt bushes and, and trees that were just kind of dried out from the sun. I saw the, the beige of the landscape. It was kind of boring. And I walked into the water with my mask on up to about here. And I don't know if you've ever snorkeled in the Caribbean Ocean. But I saw no life in front of me. And then I ducked my head under the water. And it was exploding with color and exploding with life. And some of the life was a bit closer than I wanted it to be. And we've experienced this when we've gone to Mexico before. You think you see something and then you put your eye, or you see nothing. And then you put your eyes below the surface. And it's bursting with life. And I've seen some very interesting creatures, barracuda and, 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 and nautilus, like all sorts of very interesting creatures that exist there. We can see beautiful life under there and there are also times when we might, there are some things lurking there that we should probably put our head below so we can see what we're getting close to. The invitation of Revelation is for you and I to see that there is a world going on that is much closer. That the reign of Jesus Christ Reigns over the seen and the unseen world. That he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And yes, he's not surprised by COVID. He wasn't scared when, oh, the, the sun's getting darkened out. But he wasn't worried. And we should not be worried if we worship the Lamb. That's the invitation of Revelation. That's what we are going to be unpacking. And I believe that as we, as we approach with humility, which we should do with all of Scripture as we approach ready to engage and actually allow it to, to enhance our lives and, and make a change on our lives and control the way we live, if we do so in unity as a church, this is my ask for those who I might push up against uh, over this and, and, and different backgrounds here, is that I would ask that you take in the entire series before you... Engage in some debate with me. <laughs> because many of that, much of that might be answered. But I believe if we do those things, we are going to have a greater perspective, not just when we show up here on a Sunday Sunday, but a better perspective when we go for when we go to work, how we engage with each other, how we engage with family, how we engage with the news, how we engage with the, the political environment that we live in right now, the cultural environment we live in right now. It's not new. It's not new new. And I think Revelation has something to tell us, to enable us to live with confidence that the Lamb is firmly on the throne for now and forevermore. So guys, I hope you have booked your Sundays for the next, I'm not even telling you, just book them right through. (laughs) Guys, let's stand, let's pray. God of grace, thank you so much for an opportunity First of all, God, thank you for being a God who reveals himself to us. We, we, we're not shooting in the dark to get your attention. We don't have to wave our hands to get your attention. You reach down to us and you ultimately re- revealed yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come, who came, lived, died, burst out of the grave, and now reigns on high, the risen lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what we need to focus our hearts and minds on. In a world that will dangle so many things in front of us, whether they be shiny or gloomy, we need to look to the Lamb of God who sits on the throne. So it's my prayer, God, that you would open our eyes to what you would want to say to us through this book. I pray that we would be encouraged, as I believe first century Christians were encouraged by this book, I pray that even this week, as we we come across news that's disheartening, as we we hear news from south of us of of what the next political four years are going to look like, that we would never lose hope because our political allegiance is to you. Our future is ultimately found in you. Our redemption is found in you. And the healing of the nations is found in no one but you. May we engage with this book faithfully over these next few months in Jesus' name, Amen. Guys, I do want to say I don't think I ha- do. I have the slide with the um, with the uh, further reading up there. I don't. Okay. For those of you who do check online for the notes, if you go to cachurch.info, I have a handful of books that if you want to do some of your own reading, some fantastic books. One's called Reading Revelation Responsibly, got my title for this week, by Michael Gorman, fantastic. Discipleship on the Edge is probably the best book in the last 30 years on reading through Revelation. And then Revelation, Revelation: a shorter commentary by G.K. Beale. You can find all of those online. If you have a hard time finding them, talk to me, and I will help them with you. I'm going to leave you guys with the same text I started our service with in Colossians, which will center our hearts and minds on Christ before we leave here and his supremacy over all things. When I, leave you this, when I uh, dismiss you after this, I am going to ask, as per usual, to follow protocol and make your way uh, out the building so that we can keep meeting here every week. This is what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in, heaven, in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we could see and the things we can't see. Thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And he existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is where our worship is focused. This is where our political affiliation starts. Have a great week. God bless you.